Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand how numbers work and counting and sequences of numbers that go from 93 to 94 to 95. My name is Jason <laughs> Snell, and I can't count, and I'm always joined by my innumerate co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey, Jason. So this is episode 94, which we are recording after episode 95 has been released because yes. um, we missed an episode t- number. Oops. We did, uh, which was my error in our CMS. But while we're recording yesterday's episode, which is really not out yet, if you look at the timestamps, how does it work? Hmm. We had several stories that we had prepared that the Space Council meeting basically just shoved out of the outline. We were recording, and uh, people, I'm sure, assume this. But while we're recording, you and I very often are communicating via text of, like, hey, let's do the ad here. Let's move this up. And... There were just some stories that just we were going to run so far over, but they're important stories. We want to get them in, so we have this bonus special bonus episode. So we're, time travel episode. Yes. Yeah. So we're uh, knocking out two asteroids with one spacecraft net or something. Okay, that's great. Well, okay, so so let's go. Let's move on to topic number three <laughs> because yes. how do numbers work? We don't even know. Uh, which is spacecraft development programs. Can you want to tell me what the uh, you know, I'm used to waiting uh, and having delays for airliners. Mm-hmm. But what about Starliners? We've been talking about commercial crew and SpaceX has dominated that conversation because they had their first demo flight that was very successful. But they're not, of course, they're not the only company building a spacecraft for a commercial crew. The other is Boeing with its Starliner capsule, which if you kind of squint your eyes and back up a little bit, looks awfully lot like Orion, but... Never mind that. Uh, But it seems like that program is facing some delays. And at this point, NASA hasn't really confirmed these delays or set new dates. This is all reporting uh, done uh, with, you know, people with sources and that sort of thing. So uh, NASA last month had warned Boeing and SpaceX both about some safety and design concerns before they could do crewed flights. And uh, we talked about that then. And this, but the SpaceX demo flight went forward, and Boeing's a little bit behind that. Their first test flight, again, uncrewed, was due for next month in April. But now that's getting pushed to August, according to these sources. And that means that the crewed mission, which was supposed to be in August, will now be delayed until November. I firmly believe that means next, next year, year yeah. because I don't think you can turn it around in two months to, you know, or three months to be ready for crew. So, uh, so you know, commercial crew uh, is what it is doing what it always does. It's just slowly, slowly slipping into the future. But like we've talked about before, it's hugely important to get this right because you you have astronauts' lives. Yes, you know, astronauts in these capsules. So delays are fine if what you get at the end of the day is um, is working the way we want it to. Is is safe astronauts going into space uh, safely? Yes. And uh, yeah, it mm-hmm. is interesting. The more that um, the vice president talks about America being in space by the end of the year on its own rockets from American soil, uh, that like, I, I you know, if I'm SpaceX, I'm feeling really good right now because I think that SpaceX obviously has just got a leg up. They have to do their escape test, but they are. Um, they've got a lot more time to play with. <laughs> See, I was going to say like they're going to they're going to launch by the end of the year. That's not my point. My point is that they're talking about launching late summer, which means they've got time to slip and still get it in this year. I think that's right. Um, this does send me down sort of a a little rabbit hole of of actually looking at the Starliner itself. It's a it's a spacecraft that 
I at least haven't spent much time learning about. And um, so I wanted uh, wanted to talk a little bit about this this first flight and and ways that the Starliner is different than the Crew Dragon, at least from terms of launch vehicles. So the Crew Dragon is going to be mated to a Falcon Nine or you know SpaceX hardware. Boeing is taking a more uh, flexible approach. The Starliner, depending on what it's being used for, uh, you know, crew or uncrewed missions, could be launched by the Atlas V, the Delta IV, uh, the Falcon 9, interestingly, can lift this, uh, and the upcoming heavy lift Vulcan, which is supposed to have its first test launch, I believe, in 2021. Remember we spoke about that? That's the the launch vehicle that <laughs> ULA went to Blue Origin and is going to use their their motor for mm-hmm. kind of an interesting story there. Uh, so the the Starliner has some flexibility. If one of these launch platforms has a problem, then NASA and Boeing could could mate this capsule to a different rocket. So it gives them some flexibility there. This maiden flight will be launched on an Atlas V. Pence said yesterday or later today, again depending on where we are on the timeline, that. Commercial crew is going to be taking Americans to space by the end of the year, and I think Boeing is going to miss that by a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it is interesting um, that this is all going on. Like they, commercial crew, we tend to focus. I think people tend to focus on SpaceX because SpaceX is very good at promoting itself. SpaceX is um, a company that is doing all the parts of it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's sure. <laughs> it's its own. It's the Apple of space. It's its own ecosystem of you use our rockets, you use our you know commercial crew capsule. That's how it works. Whereas with Starliner and Boeing, they've got different rides that they can take. Like you said, um, the uh, but this is going on. Like there are lots of other commercial crew pieces, and there are a lot of other commercial space pieces that are that are in the mix here. Um, so Starliner, you know, I think it's not just, you know, NASA playing these companies against each other, but also like, you know, it's not quite a free market. There were more companies that were trying for commercial crew capacity and that, that could, sure. could happen down the road, but it's not just, I think a hedge. It's also kind of a, uh, somewhat of an emulation of a free market where there's at least some competition in terms of these companies and they wanted to provide this program has always been also about providing incentive to American space companies uh, and money is the incentive to get uh, to get. Uh, sorry, I got to stop. A spider is on my microphone. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Just right into my field of vision. A spider. Wow. Hey, spider. Oh, uh, what was I saying? Uh, money solves problems. Yeah. So they get the they get the money incentive and uh, that that's good too. So it's it's part of like this whole plan that they had to to create incentives and make things uh, uh, make a bunch of different commercial space uh, companies viable. And uh, I like that about it. Even though it, as we're down to the wire here, you know, it's going to be SpaceX and then it's going to be Boeing most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other players doing other interesting things in space. In fact, our next. Our next item in this category is a good example of something that people may not have, unless you're really following space stuff, you may not have even heard of, which I think is one of the more interesting um, vehicles that is being worked on right now. Yeah. So let's talk about the Dream Chaser. It's being built by a company called Sierra Nevada. I actually met uh, some engineers from this program when I did my NASA social thing in 2015, where the Falcon 9 uh, exploded after launch. 
these guys were here to like meet us and like talk to press and and they have a vehicle um, that it is based so it looks like a space shuttle that got left in the dryer too long. It's a, it's a small uh, winged craft. It's actually based on or some ideas are based at least on you know sort of the uh, there's a the HL twenty lifting body. It was this concept back in the eighties from. NASA and others to make a small space plane, and Sierra Nevada sort of picked that that ball up and is running with it now. They actually wanted to be part of commercial yeah. crew, and they didn't make that cut. So again, going to the previous story, there were companies in the running that didn't make that. But the Dream Chaser was awarded a contract as part uh, of the Commercial Resupply Services 2 contract, so that's CRS2, just a... Uh, a bunch of contracts to deliver goods and science payloads to the International Space Station and then things that need to come back to return them. So th- th- all those Falcon 9 launches to the ISS, including the one that I saw, that's all underneath this commercial resupply services program. And uh, the news is that the Dream Chaser has passed what is called the Integrated Review Milestone 5, which is uh, a series of parameters that need to be met looking at ground and flight operations for the not only the spacecraft but the company that operates it right so a lot of these ground operations and flight operations are looking at like processes done by ground crew their communications you know uh, their tracking and all of that stuff and it's a big step forward for this the spacecraft that is going to be added to the fleet of vehicles to service the station yeah, I love it. I love that it's a little uh, space shuttle like guy, and uh, it's so cool to have a reusable. Right, Th- their their idea of reusable is not the classic uh, capsule reusable where you parachute mm-hmm. down and splash in the water. Their idea of reusable is it's got wings and it will fly to a landing on a runway, and that is it's a really cool idea. And I kind of feel like if it's successful. There, there maybe there is an opportunity for them down the road to make their case again as being a crewed vehicle, because I think it does have some advantages in that way, in that it is landing, uh, you know, it is it is gliding and landing on a runway, and that there are some advantages to that if you've got people inside because they can just get out instead of being uh, fished out of the water. But it's a very cool idea for a for a spacecraft, and I hope that uh, it. Uh, it keeps working, and then you know, ultimately, when when I mentioned the the economics and the the creating a market thing, I mean, this is part of the challenge of this is is this going to be a a, a, a delivery mechanism that works that is that is uh, makes sense financially, right? And if it does, then that's really great because then they have there's more access to lower Earth orbit into the International Space Station. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that, that it lands on a runway. It actually launches tucked inside of a rocket's payload fairing. Right. This is the so ha- It's not strapped to the outside that's how like you the shuttle get was. The safety problem of the space shuttle being on the side of a rocket that stuff was yes. I mean literally that's how, what happened with Columbia is things fall off the rocket and crash into the spacecraft and damage it. And so the solution with Dream Chaser is that it's in the fairing. It's it's on top of the rocket and it and and that's why it's got this kind of cute little um like it's got like a little cute space capsule cone behind it. <laughs> It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. So uh, so yeah, Dream Chaser. You know, like you said, 
not as flashy in the news as some of these other platforms, but it will be an important step moving forward to service the uh, the space station and the astronauts there. Yeah, I hope so. It looks like a uh, the space shuttle and like a killer whale had a baby. That's what it looks like. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap up and talk about Osiris Rex and uh, what's going on there. Asteroids. Hey, Stephen, did you know that asteroids are uh, just a bunch of rocks? <laughs> like, not into Like, okay, asteroids in total we think of as a bunch of rocks. But the more we know about Bennu, the asteroid that Osiris-Rex is at, the more it looks like uh, it itself is just, it's just a pile of rocks. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's fascinating to look at the pictures from it and see uh, both of these asteroids, really. Like, yeah, this is just an agglomeration of junk that has kind of, like, come together in, and, and, uh, and occasionally, like, spews little chunks of rocks off into space and then they kind of land back on the asteroid it's they're weird asteroids are weird that's that's true and uh so yeah this is you know so osiris <laughs> rex to back up a little yes. bit its mission is to uh basically scan and photograph the entirety of this asteroid mm-hmm. to and not just for fun but to pick a place <laughs> to approach it for a sample return so it's going to right. go up and it's going to uh, shoot some gas at the surface and then capture debris that comes back. So you got to find a good place for that. And the there are a couple of things going on here. One is a bunch of the rocks that it is uh, these photos are returning are way too big for that to yeah. work. So you you can't move uh, a rock that is you know uh, meters across with this. You need you need really fine grained material. There are pl- spaces on the asteroid that are like that, but they are smaller than anticipated. So the team is going to have to really be exact with its approach. Yeah, you look uh, when it's time to do this in 2020. And so you look at this, and it's just like you know there are huge rocks and then smaller rocks and all that. And occasionally you'll get a little spot where it looks like it, from from a, this distance it looks like kind of dirt, but it's not. It's just smaller rocks. But mm-hmm. Osiris Rex's, I don't know, funnel is not very large and like a boulder will not fit in the funnel right so they got to they got to find this spot and it's just uh you know we know so little about asteroids that this is just a, it's the whole thing is fascinating that that this thing is is the topology of this thing that it's made of these these larger rock bits which i guess means that it hasn't had as much time to have them all smashed into finer material by being mm-hmm. hit by other rocks i guess yeah uh and this is all going on while there's also the story that Bennu is basically ejecting material into space. Yeah, yeah this is the, <laughs> so it's yeah. This is one of the funny things is it, it's this yeah. It's like garbage is coming off of Bennu, um, which nobody really expected, um, but it, they've seen it. These ejection events, and it can be not just like sand, but. Uh, cobbles you know make a make a street out of it uh several centimeters across and um some of it falls back to the surface and some of it kind of orbits around and some of it uh, just is gone out of out of Bennu but this is one of the weird things about having such a dynamic surface with low gravity and little tiny bits that obviously things are happening that uh that lead to a trail of material just kind of like raining off of it and and i just i think of like a truck on the freeway that's carrying gravel 
and you're behind it and little bits of of little you know rocks are hitting your car until you get over because you don't want your car to get smashed by rocks and like that's what Bennu is doing. Bennu is just littering little bits of rock all around it as it as it drives through the solar system. Yeah. And I, I guess there's concern of the spacecraft's safety in, in that yeah. situation. If it, it gets they, dinged they, by something a few centimeters yeah, across. Yeah, crack its windshield. It, what do you, you don't it, want that. That's no good. <laughs> this analogy is really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, Bennu is a more dynamic place than expected. And this is why we go this, to asteroids, right? We don't know true. anything about them. So we send ship, spaceships to asteroids now. That's how we learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nothing so far seems to jeopardize that July 2020 sample return, but it is some it, factors that complicate it a little bit. And so the team is is working through those, and uh, I just wanted to share it. Yeah, no, it's a cool story. That's nice. As this is episode 94, mm-hmm. um, I would like to predict that episode 95, which is totally a future episode, is going to talk about Mike Pence and the the whole um, speech and, and mission and all of that. Um, I, I, I uh, using my time machine, I also predict that the day after there will be a lot of people asking the same questions we ask in episode 95, which is a um, lot of questions about funding for NASA, a lot of questions about what, what you would land on the moon with. Um, uh, it, it's, we are in very interesting times for the space program. And, and when we were recording immediately following that, or actually while they were still talking, we, we started recording um, that we had our questions, but it's been interesting to see uh, in the aftermath of that, that uh, yeah, everybody's asking those questions, which is like, and, and it's unclear to me whether there's another shoe to drop or what, like what the, what the story is. So I don't know if you've had any, any, any further thoughts having a little time to sleep on what we heard on uh, the 26th, but um, I'm, I'm curious because it's, it, we, we live in interesting times. We do. The thing I keep coming back to that I keep sort of turning over is this announcement coming just a few weeks after the budget proposal. And why was this not put together with a budget proposal that makes sense for the vision? What it makes me think, what I'm tempted to think is that this wasn't a plan when the budget was put together and, and shared just a few weeks ago, that this is something that has come up since then. And that's okay. Everything yeah. is new at some point, mm-hmm. but fine. boy, the timing is not great having just announced a budget. Yeah. And I, I wonder if um, there will be posturing about this, like um, with the administration saying to Congress, we encourage you to uh, expand, to, to pick up our, you know, our challenge and expand funding for NASA, that would be an interesting way to play it, which is like, well, I know we said we would cut the budget, but now we've we've got this thing we're going to lay down. Um, my concern is that is that their attitude to this and some of the words Pence used uh, is that government is a big bureaucracy, which it is, and wasteful, which it can be, and that if we all just tighten up the ship a little bit, we can go to the moon which is not realistic. So it's not just about an attitude change, right? And I, my concern is that some of this is like, oh, those NASA people are complacent and lazy. Let's give them a kick in the pants and then they'll do what we want. And that's like, that may all be true, but you're still not getting to the moon unless you unless you dramatically increase NASA's budget, especially if you want to go there fast. 
Yep. So maybe they'll yeah. challenge Congress. Of course, Congress is split now, and that's also going to be interesting because how does a budget deal get done? And uh, are the Democrats going to want to be on board with expanding NASA resources? Are the Republicans, are they going to be able to agree? Um, what will they, you know, with people like Culberson not there anymore? Um, not only is, is Culberson out, but of course, his party is not in control of the House of Representatives. There's questions about that. Then again, the Senate has as a Pence called out the uh, the senators from Alabama who help uh, fund rockets because that's where the rockets are built, and so they're their constituents. That's all to play for. So it, it, it there's no telling how it's going to play out, but uh, it does feel like maybe this is a talking point that the administration will use in budget negotiations that they want to see this. I hope so, because the alternative is that the administration doesn't care about NASA funding, at which point I think their their uh, vision here is not going to be realistic. I think that's all. Uh, I think we're in agreement there. Right. Just a lot of, st- a lot of stuff to, a lot of questions to answer. Stephen, what an episode this was. What? Uh, uh, this was an episode? Sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> It's an episode in between episodes. Yeah, it's good. It's good. We, we, we'll try to count properly from now on. You just add one. Mm-hmm. Just add one. Yeah. So if you want to find links to the stuff we talked about, head over to the website relay.fm slash liftoff slash 94. While you're there, you can get in touch. Uh, there's an email link in the sidebar. There's a link to our Tumblr where we post stories in between episodes. Normally, episodes are more than one day apart. Normally, they're a couple weeks there, but... You know, sometimes uh, we do things differently. You can get in touch on Twitter as well. The show is at Liftoff Podcast. You can find Jason there as Jay Snell. And you can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. Until our next episode, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios. <laughs>